So tonight, what am I going to talk about? I don't know. <laughs> no, I got a book. The Power of Positive Resistance by Dr. Roy Hicks. Has anybody ever heard of Dr. Roy Hicks? You've you got to go back a few years, maybe. But The Power of Positive Resistance. And so this is my thinking, is that as much as I would rather, I guess if I had my perfect choice, I'd probably rather talk about the blessing of the Lord. I'd rather talk about faith. I'd rather, you know, there's a lot of other subjects. But if we don't resist the enemy, if we don't take thoughts captive, what's going to happen to that blessing? You know, we've got natural laws here, and natural forces in the earth, and then there are spiritual laws and spiritual forces. And we have to allow the spiritual forces periodically to come and override, you might say, the natural laws. Because although natural laws work for us, and we live in a natural world in a natural body, uh, we are also spirit beings, and we have been born again. We've been born again. So if you don't mind, just a minute, let me, uh, I want to read one scripture, and then I want to just kind of talk to you a little bit about kind of what brought me to this subject. So I'm going to go to James 1, uh, 1.15. So this was one of the primary verses that caught my attention and kind of got me looking at this subject of resisting the enemy. And it says, Then when desire has conceived, it says, Then when desire has conceived, in some translations it will say, When lust has conceived, it, it gives birth to sin. Look at that. gives birth to it. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So there's this process of sin where sin begins to grow. It grows. It starts real small, and it begins to grow, and at the end it brings forth death. This scripture is given by James as a warning to us to not let this process take place in our life. Don't let uh, lust conceive. Stop lust before it conceives. Because once it's conceived, then it begins to grow, and it can start real small, but then the sin can take root in our lives and defeat the the things that God wants you to do and wants you to accomplish in life, it can begin to defeat some of those things and, and really, really cause you to miss the mark. You know, there's a mark of the high calling. Have you heard that? There's a mark of the high calling. Uh, you know, I, I know, I don't know a little, I know just a little bit about car racing, you know, but I know that the NASCAR driver, when he's getting ready to go around the curve, at a high rate of speed. He's not looking at the wall. Because if he looks at the wall, he'll drive into the wall. He has to look where he wants to go. That's just, duh. You know? That's just common sense. You have to look where you want to go. I was on a treadmill at the uh, L.A. Fitness Center one time. And they had these screens up there where they've got ball games on and things. And there was a ball game on. 
And I'm on this treadmill. Now, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that I'm running real fast, you know. But I got it up, you know, I'm moving pretty good. And all of a sudden, somebody threw a ball or hit a ball, and for some reason, I went after it. I don't know. It, it, I, I did something, and I wound up with one foot on the side of the treadmill, and the other one's still on the treadmill. Do you, do you know what that does to you? You go flying off the back of the treadmill with all these people. They're on the ellipticals, and they're all looking at you, and then you've got to act like, I meant to do that, you know, and get back on that treadmill. That thing's still going, you know, and it's still going, so you just jump back on. Anyway, what happened, I had my focus on that screen, didn't I? I had my focus on that screen, and it affected my walk. It affected my direction. It wasn't what I planned to do. And so the subject tonight is that a person can set out to, to, to end up in a certain place. It is possible to end up someplace else. If you, if you don't follow the instructions, the guide, you know, you, you'll wind up possibly in the wrong place. Now, it doesn't mean there's no hope because that's why we're here tonight. We're going to learn some things to do. We're going to learn how to resist the enemy tonight. Okay? So, but I was thinking about the word conception. Now, here's, here's where I start going on my little spiritual, I don't know if it's a rabbit trail or what, but let me throw this out. I just want to talk to you for a little bit. Okay? All right, so... I know what Jesus said to Nicodemus in, I believe it's John chapter 3. Nicodemus came to him at night, and he said, what do I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. Born again, you know that. Okay, you must be born again. Was Nicodemus confused? Yes, Yes, he was. Yes, he was. I can imagine. Okay, And so then Jesus explained it by saying, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Okay, So, there's two kinds of conception, aren't there? Okay? There is a... Now, if, if you go to, you know, if you go to like... Uh, uh, Luke one twenty four. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read it. Luke one twenty four. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months. Okay, what's this talking about? Well, this is, you know, Elizabeth and Zacharias. This is the conception, or the birth, the baby, John the Baptist, right? Okay, and it's called conceived, conception. That's a Greek word, that's salambano, and it means to clasp, seize, arrest, capture, conceive, aid, catch, help, or take. That's what it says. That's what it means. Okay? And so that, that same Greek word shows up in the scripture I just read from James 
So, what kind of conception are we talking about? So, Elizabeth is getting ready to, she is conceived. She's getting ready to give birth to a baby. That is a conception. And that is flesh, being born of flesh, right? What is flesh is flesh. And then what's the other kind of conception? It's spirit to spirit. What, what he told Nicodemus, right? That's when we're born again. So, it is true. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, tremendous verse. First Corinthians, uh, second, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Old things, behold. No, that's the first I should say behold. You have to say behold. <laughs> behold. You have to do that. Because this is big. This is not small. This is big. It may look small, but it's really big. Behold. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Okay, so what is that talking about? It is talking about the regeneration of a human spirit. It is talking about being born again. And what things changed? What old things went away and what new things? The things that are spiritual around the spirit area. Because when you're born again, the flesh is pretty much the same. Do you notice that? You know? So, and a lot of people, they get born again, they're kind of looking for a change some other way, you know, in the physical, in the flesh. Now, there are changes, immediate changes that people notice when they receive Jesus, when they, um, when they receive him as Lord and they're born again. But, uh, so you have this spiritual new life where old things are passed away, all things have become new. You had before conception, and then you had conception, so to speak. You had before being born again, and after being born again. And once you're born again, everything's different from that spiritual side. Okay? But what about the flesh side? What about that? That which is born of flesh is flesh. Well, Charles Capps, he said... He said, if you're not born of a woman, if you're not born of a woman on this earth, you have no authority in this earth whatsoever. That's how important being born of flesh is. If, if we weren't born of flesh, we wouldn't be here, right? So born of flesh gets us here, and it enables us to function in the natural world, in this natural earth. It's important. Important, it's... Well, you have to be. You have to be born to be born again, right? You have to be born twice. You have to be born of the flesh, and you have to be born of the spirit, okay? And there's two, you might say there's two kinds of conception. And then what came to my mind was this, this James 1.15 used the word conceived. And he said, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Do you see that? And then, are you aware of what Jesus said about a man can... Uh, let's see, I've got the scripture here on it. Uh, 
Matthew 5, 28. This is one thing Jesus said. This is what he said. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So there is a conception that can take place, you know, when lust is conceived, there's a conception that can take place in our thoughts, in our mind. So there's of the flesh, there's of the spirit, the procreation, the birth of things, things that start out small and they grow, and then there are thoughts that can be conceived. And they can drop, those thoughts can be spoken and they can drop down in your heart. Okay? And Jesus in this, in this scripture is saying, you can actually look at a woman and lust at her after her and commit adultery. This is serious business. The thought life is serious business. And that's where I want to go. Okay? That's where I want to go. But I want, to, I want to understand, I want to kind of pull in these other areas of, you know, the birth and how valuable and how precious that is and how important that is and the life that birth gives. You know the change that happened? I don't know, some of you uh, remember you, uh, perhaps when you first got married and you had your first baby and you brought the baby home, okay? Do you remember a difference? Before the baby and after the baby? You remember the difference? <laughs> you might say old things have passed away, you know. It's like, are we sleeping now? There's, the baby makes all the difference in the world. It will change your lifestyles, you know. Okay? And so will our thought life and our thoughts and our imaginations can make all the difference in the world in our life if our thoughts are not right. Okay, so you know, and I realize I'm taking you all over the Bible now. Are you hanging on? Are you getting anything? Am I losing? Okay, okay. So, you know that there is such a thing as um, the mind of Christ, okay? You've heard of this, the mind of Christ. And then you also know that there's such a thing as the carnal mind. And do you remember the scripture about the carnal mind? It says the carnal mind has... Go ahead and say it, Sharon. Enmity. Okay, that's basically a war with God. <laughs> The carnal mind is at war with God. The carnal mind is, is you know, and, and the carnal mind can't understand anything spiritual. And the car, carnal mind can't comprehend anything spiritual. And sometimes I wonder, as the church, if we're trying to, um, we're trying to go forward, and many of us have been baptized in the Holy Ghost, some of us have a prayer language and we're praying in the Holy Ghost and somebody comes along and they're just operating in a carnal mind. 
and they don't necessarily understand any of this. It doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily make sense. So what we need is, we need the mind of Christ, don't we? We need the mind of Christ. We need a renewed mind. We have to stop the carnal mind from producing thoughts of lust and greed. And how are we going to do that? How do we do that? Well, that's where this book comes in. The Power of Positive Resistance. Is everybody with me? Okay, so we're talking about the mind. We're talking about the thoughts. Now, let me throw something else at you. Okay, I don't know if you've heard of this man or not. There's a minister out there. His name is Louis Giglio. Has anybody ever heard of him? Did I say it right? Did I say it? Giglio? Okay. Louis Giglio. And uh, if you want to check him out, there's a, a presentation that he does called How Great Is Our God? He takes you into outer space and all over the place. It, it's pretty awesome. You might want to check it out. But let me just bring up one thing that he taught. And uh, just one one idea here. So in that presentation, he shows a human embryo highly magnified on the tip of a pen, a straight pen. And what it looks like is not much. It looks like some little white cells. And he says, there's 16 cells on this, greatly magnified. This is a human life three days after conception, okay? It is so small and so tiny and so insignificant that you and I would just overlook it. We would just, you know, we could just throw it away. It doesn't look like anything, okay? But it's human life. Chromosomes from the father and the mother come together to form a single cell, and inside of this cell is DNA from both sides. And it's 16 cells on its way to being like 75 trillion cells. That doesn't blow your mind. It's like six feet long of DNA on its way to form enough DNA that if you printed it out and go to the moon and back. We, uh, the point of all this is just one thing. Is we are absolutely, fearfully, and wonderfully made. You know, uh, you know, there'll be a couple and they'll have a baby and, and uh, you know, of course the man, the husband, you know, well, there's a baby, you know, it's a baby. Whoa, what a nice baby. We have no idea what it took to get that baby here. Those are secret things done in a secret place inside the womb of a mother that is just amazing. So, Louis explains one aspect of it just a little deeper. And so he goes into it like this. There's a point at which... uh, there's a million optic nerve endings that leave the brain, and I'm talking about this human embryo at some stage of the development, okay? Soon on its way to be a 
called a fetus. Okay, It's a human being, but a million optic nerve endings leave the brain going to search for a match of nerve endings, uh, optic nerves, in the eye itself, in the, in the organ, the eye. They have, the eye has to be connected with the brain. You know, even I can figure that one out, right? So it's all done in order that the little baby can have eyesight. The million seeking the million. And all these cells begin to divide and they begin to multiply and they go out and they have assignments and they form arms and they form legs and they form a human life. So if you look at that and you say, uh, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You get a picture in your mind of how great God is and how awesome he is. And the truth is, we haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything yet. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared. He's got secrets up there he hasn't shown us yet. We don't even know how. We don't, we don't know. We don't know how. I know somebody knows more than we do up there. <laughs> uh, so when you, when you think about this, you know, of course you think, well, the awesomeness of God. But stop and think of a man or a woman using this precious gift of eyesight for the wrong purpose. Think of getting your eyes off the mark of the high calling. And you, you were focused this way, and now your attention got drawn, and now you're focused this way. And you're starting to allow thoughts to form. You're allowing the media to affect you. You're allowing people to affect you. You're allowing your environment to affect you and your thinking what you value, what you don't value, what you think is important, what's unimportant, and you're, you forgot about, you forgot about that fearful and wonderful time when God destined you way back. He destined you to do something, to accomplish something for the kingdom of God and the only thing that stands between you and accomplishing that is your thinking. Because the devil can't really stop you. He, he doesn't have the authority. He, he can make life harder for you. But we, go, we just go through things. We have the word. We have the blood of Jesus. We have the name of Jesus. Isn't this powerful? Amen. Okay. So now let me, get, let me get a little more into uh, how do we resist the enemy? You want to resist the enemy. You want to make, you want to hit that mark out there, right? You want to hit that mark, James? Yeah. You may live to be 99, you know? 
You want to hit that mark. And so, okay, so let me give you a little bit of word here, and I'm going to kind of, kind of get off of more of my, in, that's my intro, okay? <laughs> that's my intro. And now I want to talk a little bit about the chapters, specific teaching from Dr. Roy Hicks, okay? Okay, so in James 4, 7, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So here's the word on that. Yeah, the devil will come against you, but if you resist him, he leaves. Okay? The problem is, mankind has a terrible record, a terrible track record of resisting the enemy. And there's some reasons why people don't resist, and we can go through some of those. Uh, you know, Galatians uh, 5.1 says, uh, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again. In verse uh, 6 it says, uh, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So there's a path we want to be on. Faith working through love is that path. And we want to walk in the Spirit. We want to live in the Spirit and we want to walk in the Spirit. Even though we abide by natural laws and we use our bodies in the normal way to function from day to day, we have to stay spirit because we are spirit beings. Okay? So verse 7 of, of uh, Galatians 5 says, You ran well. Who hindered you? Notice it says, who hindered you? Not what? Satan is behind. If you go through the details and dig down, you find Satan at the bottom of everything. Okay, so in the Garden of Eden, you know, Eve was, uh, she was tempted. And it says in the scripture, let me see what this says. This is, uh, if I go back to Genesis 3, 6, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now that's the point of temptation right there. All she had to do was use her eyes that God gave her, right? Use her eyes to focus on that fruit. And it's all over. It's almost like the conception of that. Lust was conceived right there. She wanted that fruit. It looked good. Okay? Now, that wasn't the only thing that happened. She was also using her mouth. She was having a conversation with a serpent. Satan. That's rule number two. You don't do that. <laughs> Satan lied to her and she come up with a way to believe him is what I think happened. Now one thing I noticed about this story though uh, if you go on down on verse like verse six and seven, uh, she said it was pleasant to the eyes. This is Eve. You know, Eve is saying 
It's pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. Okay, so this tree, what was it called? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, what Eve was about to embark on, and she didn't, obviously didn't realize it. She was about to embark on a journey to a world where a man could choose to use evil to get what he wants. A man can choose to bring calamity, to force, to, to coerce, to abuse, to cause suffering, to cause hatred. Uh, all, all sorts of wickedness was getting ready to be released when she ate the fruit of this tree. I did notice one thing, though. It says, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7 says, then. Notice where the then is. The then was not before she handed it to Adam. The then was after Adam took it. Adam could have stopped it. And that's, people that are married have a, they have a, a, an extra layer, I think, of protection. Because, you know, if you see one of the, if you see your spouse and they're wavering, you have to pick up on that. And you have to address that with them. You're not doing them a favor necessarily by just going with the flow. You know what I'm saying? You're not necessarily, well, that's what Adam did. He just kind of went with the, well, Eve liked it. You know, so he took that, and then their eyes were opened, and they knew immediately they were naked. So everything changed right there. This is like the night, I'm telling you. <laughs> there are points in time when everything changes, and that was one of them. Everything changed. And they lived not very long after that. They had to, they had to deal with their first son committing a violent murder and destroying his younger brother. Imagine you got one younger brother, it's you and him, and you get jealous and decide that the solution to your problem is to take his life. The, the media portrays a lot um, that the solution to problems is killing everybody. Have you noticed that? You know, you know all the shows like, you know, like, if there's something wrong, you, you find the bad guy. And usually the person that's, that's going to fix the problem by killing everybody, is not, he's not so good either, right? He's usually, so it's usually a gray area, and you're trying to, if you're watching the movie, you're trying to figure out, oh, who's the bad guy? I'm not even sure. You know, and, you know. So, One of, one of the things we have to do is protect ourselves. Protect ourselves and protect the, the, the value of the Word of God inside of us. And do not let the Word of God be devalued and degraded by anything. Media, friends, whatever. We just have to, we have to draw some lines here to resist the enemy. So the example I just gave you was an example of how 
Adam and Eve did not resist the enemy, did they? They did not resist the enemy. It turned out very bad. Okay. Now, Romans 1.21 says, Because that which they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Okay, so... Now, if you're taking notes, so here's one of the ways. Here's one of the ways that we guard against pride and we guard against an arrogant spirit coming over us and making us think that we know everything and that we don't have to resist, you know, evil thoughts. And that is thanksgiving and being grateful and being thankful. The people who have pride are really targets for allowing the enemy to do things to them. Pride. Pride wrecks you. It, it ruins you. And besides that, prideful people are not any fun to be around. Right? Amen. Selfish, prideful people are they're, they're not much fun. Okay? So, <clears throat> but most of the time, prideful people, they don't know they're prideful. Okay? But if they look at the, if they look at the word and say, I'm supposed to be thankful. I'm supposed to be grateful if they will begin to use their mouth the right way and give thanksgiving to God and give honor to God and, and begin to speak his word, revelation will come to them. They will no longer be vain in their imaginations. See, they'll no longer be vain. They'll come out of this. They can turn it around. The Holy Ghost is able to lead us and guide us, right? So, Matthew 5, 37. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Man, there's a lot of corrupt language out there. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's a lot of just, I don't, know, I don't know how you were raised. Well, let me tell you, my mom, if she heard this F word in her house or around her house, even one time, she would have gone on the attack to stop that one. It just wouldn't have happened. You know, so we live in this culture that's inundated by sloppy language and crude language and cold language, and people say, "Well, it's just yeah, just lighten up, you know, it's okay." That's not what this said, did it? Matthew five thirty-seven. What does it say? Let your communication be, yay, yay, and nay, nay. And I think about my own life. Sometimes I like to be sarcastic. <laughs> Sometimes I like to exaggerate. I mean, I, I do, you know. And, and sometimes I think, well, it's funny or it's, you know. But a lot of time, this is just not of God. A lot of the time, and I've got another scripture I want to share with you. There are times when you need to take your hand and put it over your mouth like that. 
you know. Now, Dr. Uh, Hicks, he talks about, you remember the Battle of Jericho? Was the Battle of Jericho, now this is, a, I guess, a rhetorical question. I don't know if it has a right or wrong answer, but was the Battle of Jericho won by sound, or was it won by silence? Obedience, yeah. But you remember when they marched around? They were not supposed to say a word. Well, think about it. You're marching with all these guys, and nobody's saying a word, and you start to grumble. Well, I don't know why we're doing this. <laughs> do you know what would happen to that guy if somebody had done that? What do you think would have happened? They would probably have stoned him right there. They'd say, you are out of the army right now. That was serious business. We're taking a city. It's dedicated to the Lord. This is important, what we're doing. Sure, you have your personal thoughts and views on things, and you feel bad or you feel good about something, or maybe you're not sure. Why are we walking around this every day? You know. But I wonder, perhaps it was the silence that was so powerful because the people of Jericho never seen anything like this before. They'd never seen this. That silence had to just unnerve them. How can an army be this disciplined? And I'm saying, if they can be that disciplined, the way they live in that day, we can do it too. We can be disciplined with our mouth too. There's a time to shout though. I didn't say there wasn't. There's a time to shout. And there's a way to do it. But we're trying to do things God's way. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to, we're trying to find out what God hates and not do that. <laughs> you know, find out what God likes and do that. Okay? So, let's see here. I guess I've got a... Am I doing okay on time? Or? Ten minutes? Okay, ten minutes. All right, let me pick... I want to pick some of the... Best things I've got to finish this up. So let me see. Okay. We've got, uh, why do we not resist? So let me hit this subject. Why do we not resist? Okay. Because sometimes we feel that in the private confines of our minds, we think everything is a personal little secret and nobody knows and it doesn't matter. And that's not true at all. God knows everything. God knows everything in our minds. If he put it on the screen, it may not be good, you know? But God knows. But that's, that's a, a feeling of, oh yeah, it's just a private little thing. Well, it's, it's, it can be uh, very insidious. Okay. Another reason, maybe, because we feel we need to relax 
and let our imagination run. You know, you had a hard day. You've been on the bus. You worked all day. You got back on the bus. You went to the park. You know, you're tired. And you sit down and you flip on the world. (laughs) And it doesn't do anything but help your imagination to run. Maybe we're going through grief or depression. We may be going through anxiety of some sort. But let me tell you something about all these things. We may have a reason for needing to relax, or we may have a reason for needing to, to, to get rest. But I will tell you this. The devil does not care whether you're weak or not. As a matter of fact, he waits for your weakness to attack. That's when he attacks the most. So if we're going to resist the enemy, there are times when we need to resist. So let me give you some of those times. Okay. When to resist the enemy? Resist the enemy when you are weak. Okay? Resist the enemy when you feel depressed. Resist the enemy when you feel discouraged. Resist him when you're tense. When you're angry, resist him. How do you do that? Jesus said, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, you resist him. How do you resist him? By turning the other cheek. What a strategy. (laughs) It sounds like this is crazy. And some of us are a little faster on our feet. You know, if somebody's getting ready to clock you or something, you know, I mean, you're probably going to move, right? I mean, I don't think it means that. But what it means is that when you turn the other cheek, you are responding like Jesus would. Jesus loved people. You know, he loved people. He was, the word compassion is all through the New Testament where he showed compassion. It was a demon-possessed boy, and Nobody could cast the demon out. And the demon threw the boy down, and he's laying on the ground like he's dead, and Jesus picks him up by the hand, and he gets up. That's Jesus. That's the way he is. And, okay, resist the enemy when you feel critical. Resist the enemy when you feel covetous. You know, Jesus had some warnings for, this is like advice and warnings. And he said, sometimes you just agree with the enemy. Okay? Now let me, let me explain that. <laughs> let me explain that. Okay? There's a lawsuit. Somebody's bringing charges against you. And, and there's a, a certain amount of money involved. You may be able to settle that before it goes to court. You may be able to settle peacefully. There may be a place 
where you can settle something on a peaceful basis. And that could be resisting the enemy. Because the enemy always wants you to return evil for evil. You know that. And the first thing you think is, I'm going to get even with them. I mean, we, that's just the way we're wired. Flesh is flesh. That's just the way it is. And, and there's always going to be, there are always going to be some vain thoughts come to you. Okay? And so we have to resist the enemy. Okay. Always having to be first. We don't always have to be first. Okay? Always having to be right. We don't always have to be right. It's okay to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. That's okay. That is resisting the enemy. It's, it's, not, it's, a la- it's stopping the process of hatred and bitterness and anger and confusion and fighting and fighting and fighting the rest of your life with relationships. You know, Brother Ivan taught two full sessions on this, okay? So, and of course, lust in the heart. Jesus warned about the lust, okay? So, okay, in Romans 6, uh, I'm going I'm to use verse uh, 6. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died... He died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise you, reckon yourselves to be dead. Indeed to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. Boy, there that's the solution, isn't it? That's it. Because if you... If you make the final decision, I am not going back to those old ways. I am dead to those old passions. Christ died. He died once. Okay? I am in him. And I'm going to reckon myself as dead to those old things. And therefore, I'm going to resist the enemy at every turn. I'm not going to get tired of it. I'm just going to keep resisting the enemy. That's going to be my life. I'm going to let God bring good things into my life. I'm going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be empowered. I'm going to be full of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to build myself up in my most holy faith. I'm going to use that scripture in Jude, you know, building yourself up in your most holy faith. I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost and pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to keep my focus on the mark. I'm not going to let anything pull it off. I'm not going to let a, a conflict, a relationship, lying, 
you know, filthy words, vain imaginations of any type. Pull me off. I'm going to keep my eyes on the mark. And let's just watch and see if God finishes what he started. And he will. He will. He'll complete what he started in our lives. Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm going to quit right there. Thank you, Lord.